Good morning. Invite you to Acts chapter 11 this morning. Acts chapter 11, verse 19, will be our starting spot of several spots we will visit in the book of Acts today. Uh, In our ongoing study of the church this summer, the topic that we have come to today is missions. And I want to begin this week actually right where Pastor Jeremy left off last week. The last point of his sermon on evangelism last week was that the motivation for evangelism is to make God known so that God will receive praise and glory. And citing Matthew 5.16, he exhorted us to let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Missions is also part of this doxological, the worshipful purpose of the church. Paul says this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4.15, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. As God's grace spreads to people who accept it, they become new worshipers, giving thanks to God. God deserves to be worshipped by all people everywhere. And missions is the work of the church towards accomplishing that end. John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, says it this way, missions exist because worship doesn't. And that's not to say that when we consider missions that people are not in view. Paul says again to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10.33, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul recognizes that great profit comes to people as they hear and receive the true gospel. And concern for the souls of men is a great motivator for missions. But Paul rightly places this underneath the overarching goal of God's glory being declared among all nations. So as a church, missions must be part of what we do for the doxology of God and the discipleship of man. Recognizing this, we might ask ourselves, what does missions look like? How should we do it as a church seeking to follow the New Testament pattern? And toward understanding this answer today, I want to look at a church in the book of Acts who was a a pioneer, a, a prototype in doing missions. And they're to be used as an example, not because they were perfect, but because they were following the Holy Spirit in what they were doing. This is the church at Antioch of Syria, and and we learn about their missionary enterprise in the book of Acts. And in looking at their missionary pattern, I hope that we will see today here four qualities of a missional church. And that term missional today can have some, some loaded implications in Christian literature. I'm simply using it to mean a church doing missions in a New Testament sense. So I want us to see here today four important qualities for a church doing missions. First thing I want us to see is that missional churches cross barriers with the gospel. Missional churches cross barriers with the gospel. The church at Antioch here, not to be confused with uh, Pisidian Antioch, which is where Paul will visit in just a couple of chapters, Uh, The city of Antioch was a major Roman city. It was perhaps the third largest in the Greco-Roman world at this time, behind only Rome and Alexandria, Egypt. It was a major social, commercial, religious, and governmental center. And while there were many Jews there, as we come to Acts 11, it was about to become a major center for the uh, evangelizing 
of the Gentile world. So let's look at Acts 11, verses 19 through 21. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, or the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And these verses appear to describe the founding or the very early days of the church at Antioch. What we see here is that the church of Antioch was founded as believers broke through social and cultural barriers to evangelize those who were different than them. As believers were pressed by persecution in Jerusalem and and moved out into the rest of the world, some of them came to Antioch. And up until now, their work had been exclusively among Jews. But as they came to Antioch, some of them go further. And these unnamed disciples, uh, Cypriots and Cyrenes by heritage, they engaged Greeks with the gospel. And while some might see these as as Greek-speaking Jews, I believe that these are Gentiles. The contrast between the Jews in verse 19 and the Hellenists or Greeks uh, in verse 20, I think, seems to be clear. And regarding these Jewish evangelists spoken of in verses 19 to 21, uh, commentator F.F. Bruce, uh, a very well-known commentator, says this, supporting the idea that they were Gentiles. The idea that the gospel could have any relevance for non-Jews was not one that would naturally occur to them. But in Antioch, some daring spirits among them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, took a momentous step forward. If the gospel was so good for Jews, might it not be good for Gentiles also? At any rate, they would make the experiment. So they began to make known to the Greek population of Antioch the claims of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I think it's no coincidence that in chapter 10, Luke has just given us the theological justification For Gentiles hearing and believing the gospel, recording Peter's ministry at Cornelius' house. So here now in chapter 11, we see this happening in a major way. In a major Roman city, a church explodes with Gentile converts, so much so that Barnabas, we'll see if we were to keep reading, is sent from Jerusalem to investigate the phenomenon. So here in the early days of the church at Antioch, believers were crossing various cultural and social boundaries to engage people with the gospel. It would have been very natural for Jewish believers to only evangelize Jews. And given the Jews' background with the one true God, this perhaps would have been the easiest path. And these evangelists, given their Jewish background, they could have viewed the Gentiles as unclean or unworthy of their efforts. But they did the harder thing. They went to those outside of their cultural and social and religious background. They went to those that they had been conditioned to shun, and and they offered the good news to them. And this, of course, is the fundamental driving idea behind worldwide missions. Jesus is for all people. Can I pause for a moment and ask you maybe a couple of, of hard questions? In the following scenarios, is A or B more true in your mind and heart? If you see a Somali woman in her hijab walking down the street in your neighborhood, are you more likely to, A, wonder about gospel progress among Somali Americans and and what it would take to reach them, or B, to lament the changing demographics of your neighborhood? 
A or B? If you hear a discussion about Islam on the world stage, are you more likely to A, pray for gospel progress among the 1.8 billion Muslims in the world, or B, to think more politically, maybe to engage in a fiery discussion about Sharia law and how it will never come to America as long as you have something to say about it? And I'm not asking those questions in accusation, but because I know the desires of my own heart to have things easy, to not be confronted with challenging engagements in my community, or to misdirect my zeal into areas less pressing than gospel advance to perishing people. My point is this. Like the believers who first evangelized the Greeks at Antioch, if the church is to do missions as the New Testament prescribes, we must have the conviction that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people everywhere, not just for us and not just for people like us. And we must be committed to transcending whatever barriers are in the way of the transmission of the gospel. And that conviction should guide our own local interactions as well as our global strategy of missions. As we traveled to Germany this past month, we experienced this on some scale, while we were still very much in the Western first world, we, we encountered people who spoke differently, who thought differently, and had different worldviews than ourselves. Four years ago, I traveled to Thailand and, and experienced a much different way of life and a vastly different culture and vastly different worldviews from my own. But whether Bangkok, Thailand, or Ingelheim, Germany, or Plymouth, Minnesota, what we encounter are human beings created in God's image fallen and estranged from God by their sin, in need of the saving work of Jesus applied to their account before God. This must be the starting point, and it must be the perpetual inertia for missionary endeavors. Missional churches cross barriers with the gospel. Second thing I'd like for us to see here today is that missional churches send their people away for gospel expansion. Missional churches send their people away for gospel expansion. For this, we fast forward to Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Had we read the rest of chapter 11, we would have seen a church that was growing and flourishing among the Gentiles. Barnabas went and got Paul and brought him to Antioch, uh, probably seeing his value there as a Greek-speaking Jew. And they ministered for over a year, and the church appears to thrive under their ministry. In the meantime, they've taken an offering to the Jerusalem church and then returned to Antioch for more ministry there. And as we come to Acts 13, the church at Antioch is being led and strengthened by prophets and teachers ministering among them. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaean, and Saul, uh, and of course, who is, of course, to us the Apostle Paul. Let me read these verses. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaim, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So we see here that in Antioch, the ministry was continuing. But the Lord was leading this church towards something different. And the Lord was giving them a spirit-guided eye to places beyond their own locale. And obeying the Holy Spirit, they take Barnabas and Saul and they send them away with the gospel. And this is the beginning of what we would come to know as Paul's first missionary journey. And from a human standpoint, we might say, why? Such a, a good thing was happening here. 
Why remove two-fifths of these leaders and send them somewhere else, right, if it ain't broke, right? But here is an important truth about the New Testament church. Local churches are not merely to hoard faithful workers unto themselves, but are in some cases to send them away to other places for gospel ministry. Missional churches must send their people away as the Spirit leads. And this truth remains vital for us today. While there are some places in the world where the local indigenous church is strong enough to carry out the majority of the weight of evangelizing their own country, there are still many places in the world where the regenerate population needs outside help to accomplish this task. There are places where there is is still a need for Christians to come as church planters and evangelists to help in the task of reaching that place. While we were in Germany these past few weeks, the, the, the missionaries there, Luke and Bethany Snell, shared with us the needs just in their region of Germany. They told us how there is still a need for more outside churches, uh, church planters to come there and to seek to establish new churches. In their own city of Ingelheim, perhaps 30,000 people, their church is the only non-charismatic gospel-preaching church in town. The next town over, Bingen, 25,000 people, has no gospel-preaching church, charismatic or otherwise. Rudesheim, a ferry ride across the Rhine River, 10,000 people, no gospel-preaching church. And the list could go on. And that's just a snapshot of, of one small geographic locale. On top of this, they shared that their baptism admissions team has gone from 17 team members to seven in just a couple of years as they had 10 co-workers reach retirement. And that is no fault of those who retired. They, as far as I know, faithfully ran their race there. But one of the things that the missions agencies tell us today frequently is that fewer missionaries are going to the field than are retiring or, or passing away. And our current generations really are not even keeping up with attrition, let alone growing the numbers of full-time missionaries. And so I say all that simply to say this. The need for this has not changed. As the church at Antioch was called to send out its people for missionary endeavor, so are we. There remains a need and there remains a call to send out our people. Parents, are you willing to give your children to missionary enterprise if God calls them? Church, are we seeking to identify and encourage those whom God might be setting apart for this task? It's worth noting as well that these were not random or anonymous people in the church being sent out. They were leaders, prominent in the ministry, and I think this speaks to the importance of the effort. And young people, if I could speak to you for just a moment, everybody can listen, but young people especially, missions is not to be viewed as a leftover for those who can't do anything else, not even close. Cross-cultural analysis and evangelism Worldwide theological training, creative access missions, these are all serious endeavors which require bright, thoughtful, dedicated, educated, and creative people. And I know that many of you could excel in any number of areas, but maybe God would have you direct your energies into missions in some way. Don't close your mind to these things. Pray and ask what God might have you do. So missional churches are willing to send their people away for gospel expansion, and may God provide workers to the fields even from here among us. The third thing I'd like for us to see is that missional churches support missionary efforts. Missional churches support missionary efforts. 
After the Holy Spirit has directed the church to send out Paul and Barnabas, they do an interesting thing, the church does. They fast and they pray before sending them out. We see that in verse 3. Verse 3, then having fasted and prayed they, uh, and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And given the fasting component, this was likely a lengthy, sustained, earnest expression of prayer, perhaps extending over days. And while we're not given the specific contents of the prayers, we can surmise that they would be similar to ways that we pray for missionaries today. Their journeys were going to be long and dangerous. Their work was going to be hard and would undoubtedly face opposition. The missionaries would face all of the normal temptations of sin in this world. So it's not hard to imagine the church at Antioch praying for physical safety, for effectiveness in the work, and for spiritual flourishing of the missionaries. So first here we see we support missionary efforts with prayer. Paul would later on in the book of Colossians say this in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying for also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make manifest as I ought to speak. Paul the missionary asked for prayer for open doors for the word of God, that he would fulfill his role in that ministry. And you have undoubtedly heard many missionaries come through with similar pleas. They nearly always affirm that what they desire more than our money is our prayer. And I believe them in that. And the church at Antioch here affirms prayer as a primary part of this process. Missions is hard. Living and ministering cross-culturally is hard. The salvation of individuals around the world whose worldviews are vastly different seems unlikely according to human logic. And it only happens through the ministry of God's Spirit. And I have no doubt that as missionaries plead with us to pray that they are sincere and recognize the need for their ministry to be empowered by much prayer. And so the church at Antioch supported the missionaries with prayer, and that is a primary role for us as well as a missional church. Another way in, uh, in which churches can support missionaries is, of course, financially or with money. We don't have that specifically stated here. We know that this church was a generous church at the end of chapter 11. They had sent a relief offering to the churches in Judea, uh, in anticipation of severe famine. And we're not told that this church financially supported Paul and Barnabas, but we might assume it uh, based on what we know of the church. Nevertheless, we do see a New Testament pattern of churches supporting missions financially. For example, in Philippians 4, 16 through 18, Paul recognizes the financial aid he had received from the Philippian church upon multiple occasions. In Romans 15, 24, Paul states his goal of stopping in Rome on the way to Spain so that they might help him on his way from there, which seems to be a reference to financial support. How important it is uh, for most missionaries to be able to enter a field being fully supported so that they might be able to devote themselves to the ministry. And there are many places, of course, in the world where they would not even be able to enter the country if it was thought they were coming to work uh, jobs there and to take scarce jobs away from the local populace. You've heard of William Carey, perhaps often called the founder of the modern missions movement. He spent his life in India evangelizing and doing Bible translation. You may or may not have heard of Andrew Fuller. Andrew Fuller helped to found the Baptist Missionary Society in 1792, uh, which sent Carey to the field of India. And he served as its president for 22 years until his death. It was to Andrew Fuller that William Carey famously said, I will go down into the pit if you will hold 
the ropes. And that is exactly what he did. Carey was the missionary to the field in India. Uh, Fuller held the ropes in England, raising financial support and recruiting workers. And this support aspect for missions remains vital. Churches remain tasked with the necessary role of holding the ropes for our missionaries. We send money. We offer prayer. And on top of that, in our teaching, we emphasize the need for missionary zeal. And we seek to recruit new workers for the field. So missional churches must support missionary efforts. Finally, I'd like us to see point four. Missional churches provide accountability for missionary efforts. Missional churches provide accountability for missionary efforts. For this, we fast forward again to Acts chapter 14, verses 24 through 28. And as we come here, we find the end of this first missionary journey. Acts 14, 24, and after they, this is Paul and Barnabas, had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Paul and Barnabas had traveled outbound as far as Derby, and then reversed course, going back through a number of the places they had evangelized, eventually sailing back to Antioch. And back in Antioch, perhaps a year or two later, they gave a report of all that can happen. And the language of verse 26 is very interesting, that they sailed to Antioch, where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work that they had completed, the work which was now accomplished. They've come full circle back to Antioch. And this was the place where they had been commissioned by the grace of God to this task. And now they return to report that that task was accomplished. What they were called to do, they did. And this accountability is, is ultimately for faithfulness to the task, not so much for the result of the efforts. In the language here, the results of their work are clearly attributed to God. Look at verse 27. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And so we believe that the local church has a role of accountability to missionaries, not to berate them for results. Those results belong to the Lord but to hear report of their faithfulness to the task and to rejoice and encourage one another with the workings of God. We all need accountability in our lives. And within missions movements, this primary source of accountability lies with local churches as senders. So when missionaries give us verbal and written reports, we're following there a biblical idea. With this, of course, at times comes joy as we hear of the work of God. With this may come sorrow as we hear of the difficulty of the work. With this will hopefully come to us a renewed zeal for missionary efforts and the recruitment of new workers. So missional churches receive reports and provide accountability to missionary efforts. In conclusion of all these things, missions should be an important part of the life and ministry of the local church because God deserves to be glorified by everybody everywhere, and all humans are in need of Jesus as their Savior. 
Churches doing missions must be committed to crossing barriers with the gospel. Churches doing missions need to be sending their people away towards the end of gospel expansion. Churches doing missions must support missionaries through prayer and financial resources. And churches doing missions must serve as an accountability structure for missionary endeavors. Putting all this together, I would say two things to us as a church. Number one, keep being faithful. Fourth Baptist Church, I don't preach this sermon to you as a rebuke. In fact, I believe you are to be commended for your efforts in these areas. Our church and our members give generously towards our budgeted missions and far over and above that in various ways. I can tell you that our recent missions team to Germany received incredible financial support and an incredible prayerful encouragement for that trip. We were blown away by the support that we received. Keep being faithful. But secondly, I would also say this. Think expansively about missions. Think expansively about missions. We must always guard ourselves against complacency, and we need to keep this topic before us lest we would become slack in it. Missions is an area where we can always strive for more, where we can always think expansively, where we can always dream big for the glory of God. And may we continue to press forward uh, in this area of missions. Individual believer, I would simply ask you this, is missions on your heart and in your prayers? Are you praying the prayer that the Lord told us to pray, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest? Maybe for some of you, missions does not only need to be in your prayers, but it needs to be in your future. Have you sensed maybe some persistent thoughts or desires towards missions in your own heart and mind? If so, I would encourage you, come and talk to one of your pastors. We would love to to process that with you. I close with these words uh, from a song we often sing, especially at the time of our missions conference every year. Go to the world for the sake of His name. To every nation His glory proclaim. Pray that the Spirit wise will open darkened eyes, granting new life to display Jesus' fame. In Jesus' power, preach Christ to the lost. For Jesus' glory, count all else but loss. Gather from every place trophies of sovereign grace. Lest life be wasted, exalt Jesus' cross. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for the church at Antioch. We're grateful that you led them by your spirit and that they were faithful to do what you had called them to do, which was to to evangelize the Gentiles and to to lead a, a missionary effort. I pray that as a church, we would remain faithful to this task and that you would cause us to think in even greater ways about what we might do for the great task and cause of missions. Give us hearts that are willing and open to whatever you would have for us. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.